Hello, my friends, and welcome. My name is Joe, and this is The Joe Martino Show. I want to share today with you something that literally shook the foundations of my walk. I was walking and talking to someone, and they said, hey, I think this, and I I literally, not figuratively, I literally stopped walking. Has fear become our highest virtue, and is that why we're not willing to call George Floyd's killing a murder? Yeah, put on your seatbelt, because today's going to be a little controversial. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, let's kick off today's show. I've been debating, honestly, since I got here at the office a little over an hour ago, about an hour and 10 minutes ago, whether or not I was going to record something new, or put up one that I have done and ready to go. And, and I just feel like there are two things I have to talk about today. One, I feel like we need to talk about this guy in Minnesota that looks certainly like he was killed by the police. We have to start talking about the things that happen in our country that make us uh, uncomfortable, that, that cause us to stop and think, ooh, I don't want to talk about that. It's okay that we don't want to talk about it. But it's probably not okay to not talk about it. There's a difference between want and do. And then I think we need to talk about something that, to be honest with you, I don't know if we need to talk about it, but I was kind of floored with how accurate I believe it is when someone presented it to me. And so one of the things that I get to do is share the things with you that floor me, and maybe they cause some stirring in your mind. Maybe they cause some... Uh, concentration in your mind. Maybe they cause you to chew on something. And here's the thing that somebody said to me that uh, honestly, it literally, that is not a figurative for, for my grammar Nazi friends. It literally made me stop in my tracks. We were on the phone. I was taking a walk, listening through my ear pods, AirPods, and I stopped walking when this person said it to me. She said, I think fear has become a virtue in our society. And the problem is when it becomes a virtue, when people who are afraid encounter someone who isn't afraid, they don't know what to do with it. In fact, they often respond with anger, which is the secondary emotion that we use to cover fear. And they chastise the person who isn't afraid on why they should be more afraid. And in our society, I am afraid, this is my friend talking, I am afraid that we have elevated fear and anxiety to the highest of virtues. We equate them with love. And I'm not kidding you. It was like the music skipped, my world shook, and I was like, whoa. And here's the thing. The person I was talking to isn't just somebody sharing their air quotes opinion. They're a neurobiological researcher something like that. Neuro, they, they study the psychological effects of the, or the, what happens to our brain's chemicals and our behaviors under different psychological situations is what she does. I'm not sure of the exact title. And I was like, I think that is spot on. And we're going to discuss that uh, because wow, fear as a virtue. And I want you to just stop for a minute. And, and one of the things, if you disagree with me, I'm totally cool with that. 
I would ask that you suspend that and just hear me out though. Hear me out all the way to the end. Um, I've gotten a few emails about some different things that I've done. And, and one of them, I actually wrote back and asked the person, did you listen all the way to the end? And the person said no. And I said, well, if you had the answer, the question that you asked me was answered three times uh, about what I believe. So hear me all the way out to the end. And, and there's two books I want you to consider in this. And some of my friends who tend to lean more left are already going to not like them. One is Against Empathy by Paul Bloom, and the other is The Coddling of the American Mind by two professors whose names I don't remember. They both talk about this effect in different ways. The Coddling of the American Mind, they talk about how we've tried to protect our children from everything and how there has to be some pain, there has to be some risk, there has to be some discomfort for our resilience muscles to grow. In Against Empathy... He talks about how empathy is often, things are often mislabeled as empathy and how often because of those mislabelings, we can do really terrible things in the name of empathy. And, and he actually, I do, if you read the book, spoiler alert, if you actually look up the definition of empathy, you'll realize very quickly that he is not uh, against empathy, actually. He's against how we typically use it in today's society, and he's there as a contrarian academic to cause us to stop and think about what we're doing with our actions. One of the things that is, uh, every society needs is questioners. You always need questioners because if you don't have questioners, we, we, don't t we, we tend to fall into groupthink a lot. So let's think about this idea of fear as a virtue. If you have a young child and he's on a bike and he doesn't wear a helmet, what are you afraid of? What's really interesting is as I talk to parents, most of them are not afraid that the kid is going to fall and get a closed brain injury, which is a possibility. Statistically, not a great possibility, but it is a possibility. What they're actually afraid of is that their neighbor is going to see their kid riding without a helmet and call CPS or come over and start screaming at them. And so they parent to fear. In fact, a lot of conversations I have with people Fear is the overriding, overarching uh, motivation. And we label it love, right? Well, I love my kids and I'm afraid this bad thing could happen to them. So I'm going to parent to this, to stopping this bad thing from happening to them. Uh, I was talking to someone, there's, there's once a, and when I was in graduate school, so a few years back, there was a passionate discussion about trampolines and whether or not trampolines should have the safety nets around them or should you dig a hole the size of the trampoline and put it into the ground and one of the guys was telling a story about how um, his neighbor had a party where uh, the, the kids all went to a trampoline park so a lot of safety precautions there and while the one of the parents didn't allow their child to go to the trampoline park because you could get hurt and instead let them go sled riding in their backyard. While sled riding in their backyard, they broke through a fence which abutted up to a road and crashed into a car and broke their neck. The child did, which is a terrible story, right? That's awful. But the guy was using it as we can't, as a point to say, look, we can't protect ourselves against every possibility. 
which almost always universally gets countered with, yeah, but we can in this case, which was what happened in that conversation. And to be honest, I didn't have a dog in the hunt and I love to watch people. So I wasn't even involved in that conversation other than I was sitting in the circle sipping coffee and I was just trying to navigate like, oh, okay, so Paul, you said this and Brian, you said that. Um, it was it was fun for me. But we parent to fear. We legislate to fear. We talk about COVID-19 and coronavirus to fear. In fact, the most common statement I hear is, I do blank because if it could save one life, it's worth it. And I've already addressed this in another episode, but what if it costs one life? How do we make that balance? And, and here's the thing. I, one of the reasons that I proudly say we need, to, we need to embrace the questioners is because I am a questioner. I admit I am a questioner. I question everything that the authorities tell me to do. Not always to them, but at least like, wait a second, why? What's going on? And, and that's going to lead into the second half of this episode where we talk about this gentleman in, in Minnesota who spent a long time with the knee of a police officer on his neck. Now, one of the things that happens is we have this fear, right? We want to be safe. And I think this, this, this fear as a virtue thing, one of the things that happens is as fear as a virtue, what happens is we get stuck when people aren't afraid like us. So there are people who get really, really angry with me. There's people who got really incredibly angry with me a long time ago. My son's almost eight, so I think he was not even born yet. Maybe he was just a little baby. When we talked about co-sleeping, and I'm very much pro-co-sleeping. In fact, maybe right now somebody's getting angry. Let me ask you a question. Why are you getting angry? Because you're afraid. Because either you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who rolled on their baby and killed them in their sleep, or you're afraid that you'll do it. And your fear drives you to such a degree that the fact that I'm not afraid of it, in fact, I'm embracing it, you get angry. And you're probably sitting there right now saying, I'm not angry because you're embracing it. I'm angry because you're not being safe, which is another way to say I'm angry that you're not as afraid as I am. And, and I know like I'm, this is, uh, it, it really is mind altering. Now, I want to be really clear on that. There are people that shouldn't co-sleep. There's actually good research that suggests a certain uh, subset of, of, our, of our citizenry, of, of people should not co-sleep uh, because it can be dangerous. The vast majority of people who co-sleep will actually, and, and who do it right, right? So you don't co-sleep on a couch, you don't co-sleep on a chair, will actually never run into problems. We co-slept with all four of our children. Our first child we hit it like we didn't talk about it at all. Our second and third children, we talked about it a little bit. And by the time we got to our fourth child, we both had master's degrees in counseling. We had both done uh, copious amounts of research on it for different projects. And we were just kind of like, hey, this is who we are. My son, there's never been a crib in our house uh, for as long as our son's been alive. He's our youngest. But this idea of fear as a virtue, here's the problem with fear as a virtue. We emphasize our virtues, right? So in theory, we talk a lot about, well, love is actually the virtue that we should have as a society. And we talk about that a lot. We embrace that a lot. We try to wrap around that a lot. And so when people are doing unloving things, we point it out because virtues get higher uh, sensitivity. They get higher attention. They get higher awareness than do other emotions 
that may not be virtues. And one of the things that we've done is we have bought into the lie that if we're afraid, we can keep ourselves safe. And we've gone, we've sold out to total safety. I will do everything to keep my kids safe if there's just something I could have done. And the reality is we can't keep our kids that safe. And this drives me nuts. My daughter, my oldest daughter is driving. And I, there are times that I have to not think about it. Like yesterday, she was driving to, to go somewhere. She had to go pick up uh, something uh, in, in Grand Rapids, which is about a 25-minute drive. She was taking one of her sisters. And I'm not kidding you, in my head, the story that ran through my head is, oh gosh, what if she wrecks and they both die? Well, I can't wrap them in bubble wrap. There has to be a balance. So she's had the training. She's done the schools. You know, she has a safe vehicle. And, and, and she drives. But we not only do this with our children, we do it with ourselves. If you want to, if you wonder why the lockdown versus reopen up debate is so polarizing, it's because we've elevated fear and being afraid to a virtue. And we've embraced it at such a level that we get angry with people who aren't afraid, right? Because the open up people, what are they afraid of? The economy's never going to recover. I will totally admit, I worry about that. 100,000 businesses will shut down and never reopen. And if you've never owned a small business, it's not easy. And your whole life goes into it. And what's going to happen to those people? We're not going to have the jobs. Uh, Forbes, I think, ran an article. I put it up on my Facebook. How they think only 42% of the lost jobs are going to come back. Suicide calls on the rise. And I have friends who are really afraid, like, hey, I love this person. And I, I know he or she is contemplating suicide on a good week. And we're now on like, here in Michigan, I think we're on like week eight or nine of maybe even week 10 of, of lockdown. So, so we're, we're well beyond a good place. And they're afraid. And the people who are like, well, we need to stay shut down because it could, what if it costs one life? They're afraid. And both parties get angry when the other person isn't afraid. I was navigating a conversation between a married couple. One is liberal, one is conservative. The one that is liberal loves my governor, who is a Democrat, and the one who is conservative loves my president, who is a Republican. If you live in Michigan, they're both your governor and your president as well, regardless of how you feel about it. And one of the things that one of them said was, well, I just have the best. Of, I just believe that, that, that these people are doing the best they can. They have the best of intentions. In fact, they both said that about the person that they were supporting. And I said, well, wait, if it's true about your person, your guy, your girl, why isn't it true about the other way? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of what the president will do to undermine democracy. They're afraid of what the president will do to destroy the world. They're afraid of what the governor will do to undermine democracy. They're afraid of what the government governor will do to undermine democracy in Michigan. Fear runs the narrative. Earlier, many episodes ago, I said that we are a society addicted to outrage. What I didn't think was outrage is a secondary and sometimes even a tertiary emotion. What's driving it? It's fear. We're afraid. And not only we're afraid, but we think we should be afraid. In fact, my friend went so far as to say that she thinks anxiety and fear are our two most revered virtues in our society. If you're not anxious, people look at you and be like, what's wrong with you? If you're not afraid, people want to know what's wrong with you. You're not afraid 
about this or that. What's wrong with you? If you're not afraid of dying, what's wrong with you? Do you not love life? And and I, I struggle with this because honestly, I, I see it. I see people come in and they are trying to control the world around them with everything they have. And as Nicole Kidman says in Days of Thunder to Tom Cruise, let me tell you something, you infantile egomaniac. Law, uh, control is an illusion. Now, that's not exactly the quote, but it's pretty close. I missed a bridge in there, and I don't have a very good female Australian accent. I think she's from Australia. She's married to Keith Urban, by the way, not Tom Cruise anymore, uh, in case you were wondering. But when fear drives the narrative, I know people who won't go camping because, well, we could get hurt. Well, yeah, but you can get hurt at home. One of the people that I was talking to about the COVID-19 thing, and I was just like, look, we've got to, it's not a question of life versus capitalism. It's a question of life versus life. We've got to measure this out. and We've got to wade into these dark conversations. Basically, he came back to me and said, look, my grandfather died three years ago, and it was a terrible experience. My wife left me. She was cheating on me. She left me. My grandfather died. It was a terrible experience. My dad is at high risk, and I can't lose him. A week ago, his dad fell off a ladder and hit his head and may be in the final stages of life. And I don't offer that like, ooh, gotcha, I feel terrible for him. But at the same time, everything we do in life... We could get hurt. We could suffer. In fact, a lot of the religious leaders, I'm reading a Phil Jackson book right now, and he is a committed, I think, Buddhist. And, and he, a lot of what he talks about is all of life is suffering. Life isn't permanent. It's temporary. It's one of the reasons that I, I, I try to tell anybody who will listen to me, make sure you suck every opportunity you can out of life. But with opportunity, there will be risk. I was talking to someone last week who wants to start their own business. And I was like, okay, so have you considered these risks? And honestly, they weren't even like the, the, the ones that I know keep most people, business owners up at night. They're the ones I thought they were beach balls that they were going to be able to just hit back to me and we'd be able to just wade right into the, the conversation. And she said to me, no, I haven't thought about those. In fact, it was supposed to be an hour-long con- consult. 20 minutes in, she was just like, you know what? I can't do this. So the next 40 minutes we spent talking about her fears and she got really angry with me because I wasn't afraid with her. And see, this is where we meld empathy and fear. We think if somebody isn't afraid with us, they don't have empathy. They're judging us. They're a hater. They're this, they're that, that it's negative. And empathy is, oh my gosh, I'm afraid for you. That isn't empathy. It isn't. It's destructive. It will ruin your quality of life as surely as any other dangerous disease will. It, it will. it will literally suck pleasure out of your life. Every time we drive, there's a danger. Every time we eat, there's a danger we could choke. Every time we do everything, you cut the grass, you could, you could get hurt. And yes, we should be wise and we should be responsible. I'm not talking about that. And I'm really trying to not weigh in on either side of any major current hot topic. What I want us to stop and consider is to what degree are we willing to allow fear to run our lives? To what degree are we willing to allow fear to run what we do? To what degree do we get mad because people don't share our fears? The next time you get angry because somebody's disagreeing with you over 
whatever the current hot topic is, ask yourself that question. How much of my decision is based in fear? And is that why I'm getting so angry with them? Is that why our politics have become so identity-driven? When I talk to Trump supporters and I'm like, hey, he did this and it just doesn't seem to jive with any of your values. I will get a 30-minute defense. It drives me crazy. And when I talk to uh, Governor Whitmer supporters, I'm like, wait, she did this and it doesn't seem to match with any of your values. I'll get a 30-minute defense. And it drives me crazy. Uh, Amy Cooper, the woman who, who called the police on a black man at a dog park. When you read the original comments, oh, she's a supporter of the big orange blob, right? Because once we're afraid, we can call names. Once we're afraid and we're angry, we can, we can do things that we would never do in any other situation. We can call names, we can attack, we can say awful, vile, stupid things because we're afraid. And we shouldn't be afraid because not being afraid is our highest virtue. And so, oh, she, and it turns out she's a liberal. She loves Joe Biden and she loves Bernie, which I don't know how you love them both, but whatever. Oh, uh-oh. Because we have fear that if everybody doesn't think like us and act like us, then somehow we're going to lose control. The real virtue that we have is control. I want to control everything. When I have conversations with people about different parenting methods, one of the things that I often hear, parenting decisions. Well, what if, what if, what if? Sure, what if? But you got to do what if at both sides of it. When we have the spanking conversation, which, by the way, I do have an interview coming with Catherine Mueller-Bell, who is uh, a former professor of mine, now an employee here in the network. She is working on a book uh, to address the spanking issue from a, she is a, a, a professing Christian a follower of Jesus, and so she's taking a, a, a look at it from the text that a lot of people have used over the years to uh, to support spanking and corporal punishment. Uh, so that interview is coming. I look forward to sharing that with you in the very near future. But one of the things that I, I often hear in the discussion about spanking is, well, what if? What if? That's a fear-based question, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? I keep a fire extinguisher. I have one next to my bed. I have one next to the kitchen stove sink in, in that region. I have one by the back door. I have two in my camper, maybe three, right? Well, why? Well, what if there's a fire? I have the fire extinguishers. The what if question in and of itself isn't a bad question. It's a bad question when it drives you to a place that is beyond uh, living your life. And that leads me to the next section. This is going to be a long episode. That leads me to the next thing I want to talk about today. This guy in Minnesota that, that was killed, it certainly looks like he was killed. I'm not, I didn't do the autopsy, so I can't say, but it looks like he was killed by a police officer having his neck on his, or knee on, his, on the man's neck, uh, which if, if you've studied martial arts at any advanced or, or interpersonal combat at any advanced level, you know that there are ways that you can put pressure on a person's neck and in about seven minutes, they will die. They'll pass out, and in about 12 minutes total, they'll die. And that certainly appears to be what happened in this video, I guess, a couple days ago now. And, and here's the thing. I put it up, uh, and, and I, I put up something about I can't wait to hear the explanation of this. I truly believe that there are many, many, many great officers out there. I do not believe that these four gentlemen are, are a part of that crew. Because the thing of it is, is, is I've heard all sorts of arguments. Well, you don't know enough to make a judgment. Now I can't follow you on Facebook. Well, oh my. 
You can't follow me on Facebook. Good Lord, what am I going to do? Uh, or I've heard people say, well, you know what? Maybe they're really good cops. They just made a bad mistake. Here's the thing. When you put on a uniform, you don't get the option to make one really bad mistake that costs somebody their lives. You don't. You know, he, the one guy looks at the camera and says, this is why you don't do drugs, kids. The guy was a forger. Maybe he was on drugs. And well, we tried to put him in the car for 10 minutes. Oh, so you're mad now and you're waiting for someone else to come take him. But while you're waiting, because he's inconveniencing you, you're, you have him in handcuffs. He's obviously subdued. I don't care what happened before he was subdued. He's obviously subdued. You're putting your knee on his neck. He has a small neck. You're probably on his carotid artery. You're killing him, and you don't care. And people defend that because we're because with fear and empathy being a virtue, if we're empathetic towards the police, we fear that if we admit these four jokers screwed up, what's that going to do? What's that going to open up? How many how many good police officers are going to have their work questioned? And we're afraid. The argument that George Floyd deserved to die because he was trying to use probably a forged check and he resisted arrest, especially in the way that he died, is like saying a woman deserves to be raped because she wore a short skirt. It's stupid. It's, I guess it's not the same because it's not illegal to wear a short skirt. It'd be like saying a woman deserved to be raped because she ran downtown naked. I guess because that's illegal. It's just, there's no good, there's no argument for it. And here's the thing. Everybody just retreats. If, if we say racism, well, you don't know it was racist. You're right. I don't. One of the guys was, one of the cops was a minority. But the thing of it is, it's because we have racism wrong. We think that racism is just about the majority being against the minority. But what we, we can't seem to talk about is that minorities are racist against each other and the, and majorities. So, so, uh, you, you know, people from one region of the world dislike people from another region of the world. That's racism, period. Right? Uh, people from the... It just and, and so we look at them like, well, that couldn't have been racism. I'm not even here to talk about that day because regardless, that man did not deserve to die. He deserved to go to jail. You know what somebody deserves who, who's found guilty of forgery? They deserve to go to jail. Somebody who's resisting arrest deserves to go to jail longer than someone who's guilty of forgery and and not guilty of resisting arrest. But you don't deserve to die. He He should be here today. He should be alive. And we have to have difficult conversations. We have to be willing to live in tension. And that's what ties this whole episode today together. The reason fear has become a virtue is because we fail to live in tension between fear and risk. The reason the, the conversation about uh, George Floyd is so controversial amongst people who probably agree that he shouldn't have died. I have a friend, I guarantee you, he has unfollowed me on Facebook. But the reason, and because it's so controversial that I put up George Floyd shouldn't be dead. And he's like, well, you don't know that. You don't, you, you don't know. We don't have enough video. I don't need any more video to know that that guy didn't need to have his knee on his neck. I'm not a lawyer, but that certainly looks like manslaughter to me. And we need to get to the place where we hold the people who wear our uniforms, yes, in the highest of respect, and we hold them to the highest of standards. I used to work at a mental hospital, and I was a trainer, and one of the things that I would tell them is, you don't get to have a bad day, period. You don't. You don't get to be like, oh, it's a bad day, so I can break the rules. Oh, I don't like this resident, so I can break the rules. 
It was a very violent place. Police officers don't get to have bad days like that. They can have a bad day where maybe they write a ticket instead of giving a warning when they would normally give a warning. That dude died. Now look, I haven't done the autopsy. Maybe he had a heart attack that had nothing to do with the guy's knee on his throat. But it's unlikely. Let's just be honest with each other. And we can both support the police and want to hold them to a high standard. We can both support the thin blue line and want them to not be people who kill people who are in handcuffs. It's just ridiculous to say that we can't. But as a society, because we're afraid of dissent, because we're afraid of relational pain, we don't have conversations. So we've stopped talking about racism. We've stopped talking about police brutality. We've stopped talking about balancing our response to COVID-19. We've become myopic in how we look at our lives and how we engage difficult conversations. We support a policy if we see how it benefits us. And we fail to look how it might exploit others. Because fear. Because empathy. One of the things in Bloom's book that he talks about is in situations like this, where there is someone killed while in custody, if you tend to be empathetic, as people define it, to the police officers, you'll just, you know, oh, in fact, I read a comment like this today. Oh, a criminal killed by cops. How sad. Clear sarcasm. And certainly that person thinks that they're supporting the thin blue line. In reality, they're the type of person I don't want to be around. Because that is cold. So the guy was using a check, which it's wrong. I I want him to go to jail. I don't want him in the morgue. And if we can't embrace these conversations, I do worry about our society. I have fear for our society if we can't embrace these conversations. Most of the time, what goes wrong in relationships, right? I, I do a lot of relationship therapy. Most of the time, what goes wrong in relationship theories is fear wins. And we start drawing boundaries and borders around what's happening with difficult conversations. So we don't have them. So if I say, hey, I think George Floyd was murdered. Oh, you can't say that. Why not? Well, I'm not, well, you don't have enough. Look, I'm not a court. I'm not a criminal court. I don't have to be able to prove it. But I do know this. uh, Dostoevsky said, A society should be judged not by law, oh, sorry, not by how it treats its outstanding citizens, but by how it treats its criminals. The guy was wrong. He didn't deserve to die. And if you want to sit there and argue it, I really want you to take some time and look inward. And yes, even if you don't want to sit and you want to say, if you agree with me, take some time and look inward. Examine yourself. What's your fear if you say he was wrong? What's your fear if you say he was right? I'll tell you what my fear is. My fear is if we say he was right, we're throwing the Constitution out. We're allowing police officers to live by a standard that we don't want anyone else to live by. That, you know, reasonable force. I get it. Reasonable is a subjective term. But, but we want our police officers to live with reasonable force. And if we can't have these conversations, if we can't stop and ask, why are more black people dying at the hands of police officers than white people. And right now, as soon as I say that, I know if I have a friend, if he hears this, he's going to send me a thing and say, that's not accurate. Here's all the data. 
Okay. Why is anybody dying in custody? Why is a guy whose hands are handcuffed behind his back on a city street, why is it okay for an officer to sit with his knee in his neck for seven minutes? Is it because he made the officer mad because he resisted arrest? Is it because we just don't like him because he doesn't look like a very appealing figure? Is it because, oh my God, he, he was going to try to cash a check that wasn't his. He was going to do something forgery. That's terrible. If those are the reasons we're giving, that period is period, terrible period. And if we are going to be a society of virtue, we need to combat that reality. If we don't, I fear for us. Do I think racism was involved? I, I, this is where I'm willing to say I don't know, but it does seem a little suspicious to me. But do I think excessive force was used? Absolutely. And evidently their bosses agree with me because they got fired. I'm hoping, but not holding my breath, that they'll get prosecuted. We'll see. Okay, so today's episode went a little long. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. That's the best form of advertising that I can get. Uh, we are working on a lot of things. I have some interviews coming. I just put an interview into the queue today. Uh, with my neighbor and friend, Ryan Kresge, about dads and, and the narrative that runs in our heads uh, as dads. Um, so, so I'm looking forward to hearing that episode. We're going to put that up around Father's Day. I think probably the Tuesday after, or the Wednesday after Father's Day. Uh, I do have that interview that I talked about with Catherine Mueller-Bell. I have some foster care interviews, and I am looking forward to putting those up. I am working on my next book, and I uh, hope to have that out uh, this fall. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.